0: All right, well, good morning again. Week two of our series called First Things First. And today we're going to take things a step further than we did last week. Let me catch you up if you weren't here. Uh, We kicked off this series First Things First, really as a prerequisite. To resolutions that we may or may not have already started this year. Now, most of us have a tendency uh, to want to change some things in our lives, to tweak some things, to fix some things, to stop some things, to start some things. Whatever that change looks like, the new year is a great time to start them. And we often make resolutions, but uh, most of us, if we're willing to admit it, fail to follow through or complete those resolutions. So we start a diet. We break a diet. We start an exercise routine. We quit an exercise routine. We start a budget. We fail to stick with the budget. And we have these great intentions and we want these changes because we feel as if our lives would be better if we fixed some things or change some things about our lives. But we lack the ability to follow through and sustain the change that we seek. So, this series is all about, before we implement changes, let's back up and, and tackle some first things first. Uh, and last week we talked about self-control. And here was, here was our verse for the week last week. Um, it was Proverbs 25, 28 that says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city whose wall is broken through is a person who lacks self-control. That if we don't have self-control... Uh, then we are under attack, that we are unable to protect or defend any type of change that we're seeking in our life. But we also learn the fact that self-control isn't a matter of decision-making or willpower, but it's a fruit of the Spirit. That if we walk in the Spirit, our lives will produce self-control. And so we've got to focus sometimes less on the things we want to change and more on simply walking with Christ so that we can have the self-control that'll sustain the changes. Now, um, I thought last week was good. It helped me a lot. I shared some personal things um, that uh, I had to get off my chest and I feel much better this week after having done that. So we're going to take it a step further today and we're going to talk about the second thing that I believe is the prerequisite to sustaining change. Uh, to fulfilling resolutions, to make permanent, lasting effects on our life that we feel as if are needed. And that's the underlying motivation behind the changes that we seek, the motivation for the changes that we seek. See, sometimes when it comes to New Year's and we think about, it's a fresh start, let's do something different, we kind of have these experimental decisions, Let's, let's try this, But our hearts aren't really motivated for them. And so we try it and we don't stick with it because it's just like we're going to attempt something and see how it works out. There's no really driving force or motivation that's pushing us in the direction of that change. And you know if you've ever attempted anything difficult, anything that requires um, any type of long-term duration, sticking with something, that if you don't have proper motivation, it's hard to fulfill things. Right? It's hard for you if you work really long hours and you want to exercise and you don't feel as if you have time to wake up early and force yourself to do things. But if you go to a doctor and a doctor says if you don't start exercising, you're going to die in a year, then you've got a different type of motivation at that point, right? It's less about trying to fit into a certain size, and it's more about trying to stay alive, right? So the motivation changes, and therefore the change is sustainable for many of us. The same goes with uh, budgeting. The same goes with our attitudes at work. That when we try to do things with improper motivation, we don't see things last. But when that motivation is there, man, we'll do some things that most people would never even attempt to do simply because we're motivated to do it. I mean, if you're training to run a marathon, most people aren't going to do the things that you do because you're training to run a marathon and you have a goal in mind and most people don't. So most people aren't going to approach running the way you approach running because you're motivated to accomplish a goal. Does that make sense? Are you following me? So we've got to have proper motivation if we're going to see any type of change or resolution sustained in our life. And the question that I want us to ask this morning is when it comes to our lives, and this is the thing that we said last week, when it comes to your resolutions, I'm giving you a free pass for the month of January. If you've already broken your resolutions, it's okay. Okay. If you haven't implemented resolutions, it's okay because we wanted to get these first things first. But starting in February, I'm going to encourage us as we end this series to really focus on one or two things that we can do differently in this year now that we are equipped with these tools that will allow us to. So so I'm going to ask you today and throughout this series, what's your motivation in life for the changes that you might see? Right? Uh, Many of you uh, may be looking for new relationships, or uh, mending relationships, and, and what's the motivation, I would ask you, in mending the relationship or starting a new relationship? Is it to get things out of the relationship? Is it to uh, give things in the relationship? What's, what's the motivation? Financially, many of you are wanting to make some changes. What's the motivation? Is it simply living more comfortably? Is it, is it simply uh, being able to have more things? What, what's the motivation for doing it? Many of you are going to eat differently. You're going to exercise more. And I would just ask you, what's your motivation? And we all would say we have different forms of motivation for the changes that we seek. But I want to suggest to you today, and I want to be specific enough when I say this, to say that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, right? If you've placed your faith in Christ Jesus, you've trusted him for salvation, you believe that he died uh, on a rugged cross to pay the price for your sins, that he was buried and raised three days later victorious so that you could have victory and life in him, if you believe that and you seek to live a life uh, that honors God, then I want to suggest to you that there's one motivation that trumps all others. That there's one motivation that far outweighs any other motivation that you could have for any type of decision in your life. And it's simple, and I want to read a verse of Scripture before I share it with you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. This will be our theme verse for today. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so I want you to think, pause for just a moment. What are the resolutions that you've already sought to implement? What are the changes or the tweaks or the the things that you need to stop doing or start doing? And what would the motivation behind those be? And then I want you to ask yourself, can I substitute the glory of God as my motivation in that area? And you may not see how that could line up, but I just want to share with you today that as a believer in Jesus Christ, the glory of God should be the driving force of everything that happens in our life, of everything that we do, that any amount of change or resolutions that we seek to better our lives should hinge on the glory of God through our living. And so, if you're like me and you have sometimes misunderstood what it means to live a life that brings glory to God, I want to I help us for the next few moments. Um, and here's how here's, here's I want to go about today. Um, I think that for a lot of us, hopefully you aren't in this category, but I've lived in this category for a large majority of my life. For a lot of us, we see two different paths for our life, okay? Now, one path is uh, the path that is for God's glory, Right, This is the path that we should be taking. Our life should produce glory to God. Everything that we do, every decision that we make, every person that we interact with, everything that we do on our job, in our marriages, with our kids, in our families, our sets of friends, everything that we do should bring glory to God. Right, And we know that. We understand that. We get that. And that's the path that we want to take. But the problem is, is we also see a different path. In our lives. And that path is the path to my satisfaction or my happiness or my desires. And so while we might see the path to God's glory and we should know we want to bring glory to God in everything we do, we see a different path that's full of desires and satisfaction. And I want to suggest to you that this is faulty thinking. So we've got to stop thinking that way. Because when we see two different paths, one path is to the glory of God and one path is to our satisfaction or our happiness or our desires, we are misunderstanding the call to follow Jesus. Because this mindset says to me, if I want to bring glory to God, then I cannot find happiness. I've got to lead the road of happiness to bring glory to God. Right? Or I can't live a life that's full of satisfaction because it's a different path. So in order for me to find satisfaction in life, I've got to live without satisfaction so that I can pursue the glory of God. My contentment is sacrificed for the glory of God. You ever had that thought? You ever, you ever felt as if following Jesus was burdensome? Like I just just want to enjoy life, but man, I've got to give up so much so that I can bring glory to God. The things that I've got to do, man, it's just costing me so much. I am giving up so much, right? We make ourselves out to be heroes, right? I am giving up so much to follow you, Jesus. Can you please just bless me in return, right? You ever had that mindset? I know I should pursue God's glory, but I'm really looking at this desire or this happiness or this contentment. And sometimes, if I'm honest with myself, I go down the wrong path. And we have good reasons for believing this. Let me read a couple couple of scriptures for you. Scriptures that would say we have to sacrifice our satisfaction for God's glory. 1 Peter 4, 2. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. They don't live for their earthly desires, but they live for the will of God. Do you see that there's a difference? Earthly desires is one path. The will of God is a different path. They're choosing not to live for their earthly desires, but for the will of God, for the glory of God. And in Mark 8:34 and 35, it says, Then he called to the crowd to him, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, if you want to bring glory to God with your life, he must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel, will save it. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And we've been taught, we've believed, we've bought into the myth that in order for us to follow Jesus, there can be no satisfaction in our life. That we've got to let go of every ambition or desire or anything that would bring any contentment or satisfaction to our life. We've got to deny ourselves that so that we can pursue God and live for his glory. This is why so many of us struggle with spending time with God because we see it as a task, right? I'm really going to read my Bible this year. I'm going to pray more than I ever have. But when, when reading the scripture feels like a task, like a chore, like I've got to give up something I would want to do in order to spend time with God, then we don't have the correct motivation to spend time with God. Right? We don't spend time with God because we have to, because it's a task or a chore. We spend time with God because in so doing, he shapes our desires and wills, and there is satisfaction in him. And so I want to suggest this. I want to suggest this to us that the path to the glory of God and the path to true satisfaction, true contentment, true peace, the path to desires that bring the greatest gain in our life are actually one and the same. They're actually one and the same. They're not separate paths. And we've got to stop seeing them as separate paths. Because in Christ there is satisfaction. In the hope of the Word of God, we find contentment and peace. And our desires and, and the ultimate satisfaction comes when God gets the glory. So let me share with you three truths. Three truths as we seek to bring these two paths together in our mind and in our hearts so that we can live lives with proper motivation. Number one is I would say the pursuit of God's glory isn't simply my goal, but it's God's goal for me as well. The pursuit of God's glory, the glory of God, isn't simply my goal that I carry the weight of, but it's actually God's goal as well. Let me read this verse, Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to cut you off. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Do you see this? That God is a jealous God that wants to be the center of our lives. He wants the glory of God, the glory of himself to be our aim. He doesn't want us to carry the weight of having to live life so sacrificially that we don't enjoy life and we feel like our lives are miserable because we're pursuing his glory, but rather he acts on our behalf that we might learn to live for his glory. He will not allow himself to be outworshipped by anything on this earth. There is nothing material. There is no identity. There is no person on this earth that will ever receive more glory than God. He won't allow it because the glory of God is his intent for creation. The reason that we're here today is not because God was bored and just thought, well, I'll just throw some people down there. But he wanted to have a lasting relationship with his creation. And he wanted to be the desire, the affection of the heart of every man and woman that ever walks on this earth. So you've got to understand, first of all, that if you want to live a life that brings glory to God, that he's on your side. He's not simply sitting up there waiting on you to live or make a decision that brings some satisfaction because you chose a path against his glory so that he can, like, lash out at us. But he's actually acting on our behalf to help us understand that his glory is most beneficial for our lives. That the choices that we make, if they bring glory to God, will bring the greatest satisfaction that we could ever find on the earth. Here's the second truth. Our desires, remember what we're talking about, we feel like sometimes our desires... Are outside of the glory of God. Our desires are not too strong. Right? We think that we desire for so much satisfaction that we've got to kind of start letting go of some of those desires and live more for the glory of God. Our desires are not too strong, but really too weak. The things that we desire are weak in comparison to what God offers us. Our desires aren't too strong, but too weak and we shouldn't seek to rid ourselves we shouldn't seek to rid ourselves of all desires but rather put those desires in God. And when we learn to desire godly things there is a satisfaction available to us that far outweighs any earthly desire that we would ever find. Think about that. The desires that you have in life The satisfaction that you seek in life, it's not too strong of a desire in comparison to living for the glory of God, but it's really too weak. That we are settling when it comes to satisfaction in our life if we're simply seeking earthly gain or earthly desires. When there is available to us a life that brings glory to God that provides such rich and lavish and abundant blessings available to us, we simply have to learn to allow our desires to line up with the glory of God. Do you see that? Do you understand that? Let me read a a portion of a C.S. Lewis book called The Weight of Glory. He says, The New New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself, We're told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in the most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises Of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. The things that we think bring satisfaction are like mud pies compared to the satisfaction that's found in Christ. And we have failed to embrace a life that brings glory to God as being a life that brings satisfaction because in our minds we've separated them. But the call to deny ourselves isn't a call to be miserable and unhappy for the sake of the gospel. It's a call to leave the lesser satisfactions behind that we may embrace a much fuller satisfaction it's important for us to understand that let me read some verses for you psalm 42 verses 1 and 2 as the deer pants for streams of water so my soul pants for you O god my soul thirsts for god for the living god where can i go to meet with god Do you know that if you're living a life that brings glory for God, it's a satisfying thirst and longing that we have for God that he only fulfills, that nothing else can fulfill? Psalm 43, the beginning of verse 4, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I go to sacrifice, not out of a heavy heart, not out of a heart of being miserable, but out of joy and delight do I go and approach the altar of God and make sacrifices of worship to Him. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Anyone ever heard this verse misused? Right, God will give you anything you want. No, delight yourself in the Lord. And if your delight is in the Lord, then He'll give you the desires of your heart. Because what will the desires of your heart line up with? The glory of God. We've got to learn to delight ourselves in the Lord. It's not a miserable assertion to follow Jesus and and leave behind any amount of satisfaction. Psalm 100 verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. We don't come dragging into church like, i got to sing some songs. This is my religious obligation and duty. Once a week, I've got to come in here and do this whole church thing. It's because you're seeing two different roads. You think that satisfaction is found outside of Christ. But really, when we learn to live lives that bring glory to Him, man, we come into His presence with joyful songs. We delight in Him. There is no greater satisfaction. And then Philippians 4, 4 rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. You understand that the call to follow Jesus isn't a call to be miserable. I've said it a dozen times at least in this sermon. I'm going to keep saying it because I want us to understand that. You don't have to leave enjoyment behind to follow Jesus. But when you see two different paths, you're tempted to live a life that doesn't line up with the glory of God, because you think that's the only place that you can find satisfaction. But the path is actually one and the same. It's actually one and the same. And then the third thing that I want us to embrace is that God's glory and my satisfaction are not in competition. One doesn't outweigh the other. I don't have to let go of one for the other to be elevated. I don't have to choose one over the other. God's glory, my satisfaction, they're not in competition with one another. Here's here's something that a great voice in our nation, Pastor John Piper, has said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we are most satisfied in Christ, he is most glorified in us. Will you let that just sit in for a second? He's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. So this notion that for us to live lives to bring glory to God, we have to rid ourselves of all attempts to be satisfied is false. But rather, we find the most satisfaction in our life when we offer the greatest glory to God, it's one and the same. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, you want to talk about living a life that brings the most glory to God. Living a life that offers such an exaltation of God, such a, a view of God that elevates Him above all else, is when you say, for me to die is gain. Because you understand that if I leave everything of this world behind, I am gaining so much. Then you fully begin to grasp the fact that there is such satisfaction And who God is and what he offers us. That it outweighs any earthly desire that we may ever have. But most of us would say, I don't want to die just yet. There's a couple of things I want to accomplish. And I want to, you know, get to experience a few things before I go. Because then I will feel like I've lived a full life. A satisfied life. And then, you know once I've really done everything I want to do, then I guess I'll go and spend some time with God forever. Think about that. Come on, that's ridiculous. You think that the few things that you can experience on the earth outweigh when it comes to satisfaction or contentment or peace or fulfilled desires in eternity with our Heavenly Father in the glories of heaven? It's because you're seeing two roads. And when we bring those roads together, We begin to understand that when we live lives that bring glory to God, there and only there do we find the greatest satisfaction that we could ever experience. We've got to stop seeing God as a means to our end. And we've got to start seeing ourselves in the scope of God's great plan. I hate to break some of your hearts, and hopefully I won't. But God's role in creation in the universe as He sits on His throne in heaven is not simply to make you happy. He didn't send Jesus to the earth to die so that you could live in your dream house. He didn't send His Son, whom He loved, to pay the penalty for all of our sins. So that we could ascertain to some level of fame here on the earth. His purpose in the earth currently doesn't center around you or me. But rather, our lives should revolve around Christ who is at the center. And we've got to embrace the fact that God's glory is our greatest goal and ambition in this life. So you say, this year I've got to change the way I eat. I've not been as healthy. I haven't exercised like I should. What's your motivation? Well, I want to be the size I was when I was in high school or college. Or I want to fit into a certain size pants or dress. No, your motivation is the glory of God. That I might present my body as a living sacrifice to God. So I'm going to treat myself in proper ways, I'm going to take care of myself so that I can honor God. I'm going to start a budget this year. Oh, well, what's your motivation? Why are you going to start a budget? You've tried it dozens of times, and you haven't made it through a month yet. Why are you going to start a budget? Well, because I'd, like I'd like to be able to have a few more things than I have now. I'd like to upgrade some things. I'd like to be able to have a little more cushion in my life and not feel so stressed. No, your motivation is the glory of God. That you understand that God owns everything and you're simply a steward and you want to worship him by the way you steward what he's blessed you with. That's the motivation that'll last. Is saying, God, everything that I have is yours. It comes from you. It's a blessing from you. I understand that. I want to steward it in such a way that it brings glory to you. And there is satisfaction in that. That no amount of money and nothing that you can purchase will ever bring to your life. Well, I want to resolve a relationship dilemma that I've had. This is the year that I've just got to have the conversation and humble myself. What's your motivation? Well, I'm just, I'm just tired of the hassle of the strain in the relationship. I'm tired of people telling me that i got to do something about it. And I know that they're never going to. So if anybody's going to, I've got to. No, your motivation is the glory of God. That the God of the universe, while you are still sinners, died for you. He is a God who seeks to reconcile. He's a God who forgives quickly. He's a God who humbled himself and came to earth to live among us. And die for us because he loved us. And there's satisfaction when we begin to forgive and seek reconciliation the way we received it through him. I would say that every goal that is worthy of committing to, every resolution that's worth starting, has one motivation that trumps all others. And that's the glory of God through our lives. Physical, financial, relational, at the workplace, everything you do, do it to the glory of God. Now, I'm going to ask our worship team to come back and we're going to sing a song in just a second. But let me talk about the power of all for just a second. Come on now, $1.5 billion. That's a little bit of money. $1.5 billion. It's a lot of money. How many of you bought a ticket? You don't have to raise your hand. I bought a ticket. (laughs) Before you judge me, (laughs) let me explain why I bought a ticket. I read an article online about a young lady who started a GoFundMe account who spent every dime she had on tickets expecting to win $1.5 billion. And she didn't win a thing, as most everyone didn't. And she's now started a GoFundMe account. And my family is going to be on the streets if people don't give me money. I need your help to replenish what I spent. If you're expecting $1.5 million to bring you happiness, you're willing to sacrifice everything for it. But even if you have $1.5 million, if you're not happy before you get it, you're not going to be happy when you receive it. So why did I buy one ticket? Because if God wanted to bless me with $1.5 million, (laughs) he couldn't if I didn't buy at least one ticket. But if I bought that one ticket and I'm on national television and I can somehow, with $1.5 billion bringing home around $600 million when all's said and done, unless if you're wise like me and you would do the annuity option and take it over 30 years and you'd get more of it and you wouldn't spend as much and blow as much, but regardless, I would be able to say, I just felt like God wanted to bless me. And the only way that he could bless me through the lottery is if I bought one ticket. So I bought one ticket, and hit the a jackpot. It didn't happen. <laughs> and I didn't waste but $2. And those $2 were a gift that someone had given me as part of a Christmas gift, so I didn't feel bad about it. And I'm not going to go back and keep doing it again until it gets up to $1.5. And I'll be like, God, if you want to bless me for 1500000000 billion, I'll go buy one ticket. I'll buy one ticket. Do you see the difference in motivation, though? If we're motivated by earthly desires, like we think that riches will solve things for us, we think relationships will solve things for us, we think fame or prestige will solve things for us, we're willing to sacrifice for those things. But when it comes to exalting God and living for His glory... We're not as quick to sacrifice for those things, are we? And it's because we haven't seen the two roads as one. It's not about giving up satisfaction in life. It's about receiving such satisfaction that can't be found in anything else that you're willing to live for one purpose and one purpose alone. The way you treat your body, the way you treat your finances, your relationships, your job, everything... It's for the glory of God. And in Him, we find fulfillment and satisfaction. So here's how I wanted to end. Uh, They're going to sing a song. Kristen's going to sing a song called Eyes on You. We've only sung it once here before. Um, Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you're here that day. But here's here's what I want to do. As she sings this song, somewhere in the song, if you feel as if I haven't had my eyes on Christ like I should. I've been seeing desire as separate from God's glory, and I need to merge the two and see his glory as the most worthy desire that I could ever have. And this year, 2016, which I'm believing is going to be the best year we've ever had, I want my motivation in everything I do, everything I say, every decision I make to be God's glory then at some point during this song, if you just feel like that's me and I want to commit to that, I want to embrace God's glory as my motivation this year. I'm just going to ask you to stand and just sing along. You can worship how you choose. You can read, just simply read the words on the screen. You can lift a hand. You can sing along. Whatever that looks like for you, it's not important. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God may be saying in your life. If you need to put your eyes more focused on Him in 2016, I'm believing that you'll find the greatest satisfaction you've ever found this year. So respond as you feel led as we sing this song, and then I'll come back and close this out. Here's the question I want to ask Do you trust Him? Yeah, yeah. Do you trust Him enough to invest every form of satisfaction into living for His glory? And if you do, I'm believing this year that any change that's worth making your life better will be motivated by God's glory and putting Him at the center. If we're going to have lasting, sustained change, our motivation has to be the glory of God. And if the glory of God is our motivation, I want to pray for you right now that God will exceedingly abundantly do more in your life than you could ever have imagined any amount of satisfaction could come from outside of him. Can I pray for you? Let's do it. Lord Jesus, you see these men, you see these women who say that they want to have their eyes on you. They want to trust in Jesus. That They want to allow Jesus Christ and glory of God to be the motivation of everything they say and do and every decision that they make this year. And as they do that, Father God, would you bless your people? Would you allow them to experience satisfaction that they've never found in money? Satisfaction they've never found in relationships. Satisfaction they've never found in positions. May they receive such peace in you. And may the changes that they need to make or feel led to make bring glory to God and sustain those changes. May 2016 be a monumental year in all of our lives as we trust in Jesus and keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Bless us in Jesus' name, amen.